0: Hello and welcome to Harvest Church Podcast. Harvest Church is based in sunny Durban, South Africa. We are a family of believers who are passionate about Jesus. We really hope this message inspires you today. Good morning everyone, good to be with you. Thank you, Rich. Thank you, Gibby, uh, for being here and leading us in worship. We're kicking off, and it's an amazing time of year because we get to look at 2023 and just see how we can just get into step, get into the momentum of what God is doing. And uh, one of the ways we get to do that is through community. And you might be feeling, you know, you're coming into this year and you just feel like something's missing. And often when we feel like something's missing, it's because something's missing. And so I want to encourage you: if you're not in a life group, get in a community with others that can stand with you, pray with you, believe with you, cheer you on, and encourage you as you just go after all that is God, that God has got for you this year. We're doing baptisms. If you're wanting to be baptized, as as Rich said. Um, we want to invite you to respond even today. There are life groups. If you're wanting to be in a life group, please come and speak to us. There are different uh, ministries you can plug in with. There's the growth track if you're wanting to grow. There's going to be foundations later. We just want to make sure that um, as a house, we mobilized and we are carrying just the fullness of all that God has and is wanting to do in the area that he's placed us. And so we're kicking off with a series called Arm am In. It means I'm here, I'm not just gonna be a spectator, but I wanna be involved, I wanna be engaged, I'm not just coming to church, I know that I am the church gathered as we here together. And so you see that one call on its own, that video clip wasn't to entice you for a briar as you watch the cricket this afternoon, it was to say if you take that one call out, it can smolder. But if you place it with other coals, they burn bright, they burn hot, and that they can accomplish something that just is a display of God's glory. And that's what happens when we gather together. Uh, I'm picking on Stu as he sits in the front row, as Rich has done already. But I had a family member who hasn't been well, who lives somewhere else in the the country, and um, he, he just needed some prayer and encouragement. And we asked Stu to phone him. In tears, he just wrote a letter just uh, saying, thank you so much just for the encouragement. He said, I've been uh, able to eat and able to do things that he hadn't felt that he could do. And that's what happens when we get alongside those that are burning. And we want to be a house that is burning for God. Amen? So we are in a series called I'm In. And we're looking at just four characteristics of what it means to be part of his church, uh, engaging with all that he has. And it's all in this word in. The first one is this, we can put it on the screen. I am invited. You are invited. We are invited to be part of God's family. This is what we're gonna look at today and we're gonna say, what does that mean for us and for others? The second uh, thing we're gonna address is I am invaluable. It means God has seen value in you. He's given you gifts. Your gifts are valuable, they're needed, and they matter. Then we're gonna look at I am influential. Uh, We are called to be salt and light, that bring glory to God as we go out and we carry his fragrance, his flavor, and we bring God colors and illumination where we go. We have purpose, we are influential. And then we're gonna look at what it means to say, I am invested. As I said, we don't come to... This building as a church, although it has got great air cons and we're appreciative, but we are the church that gather here. And we're not going to just be spectators. We've come to be contributors. We're not just here to consume, but to contribute. And we're wanting to say, how as a people, part of God's community in this place where he has placed us, can we be effective for the king and the kingdom, for his glory, as we start to live in and live out of his goodness? And so that's what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at those four inns but I want to say don't get it confused. Don't get, instead of in, get im, don't get impatient. I say that because I might not be here next week uh, or the next week or possibly the next week, so you might have to wait for the second part because I've got a scheduled C5 disc replacement that I'm meant to be going in on Thursday, and I say scheduled, because we're in a house of faith and I've got a group of people praying for me after the service. And uh, God can change everything in a moment and he can realign and replace and do what he needs to do. Uh, but if he chooses to work in and through his uh, medical practitioners, we've got some of the doctors here in the house, um, that can also work. But we, we will either see me next week or you'll be praying for me that I can be fired up, that I won't become a smoldering coal of my own, and that I'll come back full of... Uh, Full of uh, fire for God in the next few weeks, so you will be having Rich and others sharing the word. But right now, I want to speak on one of the key themes of the gospel, one of the most important. Even as Rich has already said, it's this invitation that we have in God that says we are invited into His family. It's John 3:16. For God so loved the world that He sent His Son. And so we we want to respond to that. And and you know, it's a beautiful invitation. And you only know the beauty of it if you felt uninvited. I don't know if you've been one of those who may be on your, um, on your phone, you've been scrolling through social media, maybe Facebook, maybe Instagram, and you see a, a friend of yours out and you think, oh, that's my friend, that's awesome. And then you realize, actually, it's all of my friends out. And actually, they're all out without me and I'm here at home. And, and being uninvited can be quite painful. There's a beauty in being invited, Uh, One of the the men I respected in God, Jack Hayford, uh, passed away uh, in this last week, 88 years of old. He he was called the pastor of presidents, a pastor of America. Uh, We had the privilege, Leanne and I, of going to a course that he ran. And in that course, we got invited back to his home with a group of pastors. I mean, that was an amazing invitation. There's another man I respect in the US. His name's Craig Rochelle, and he's also just having influence as a pastor. And he shared a story that also, gripped me in and around this being invited and being uninvited. And he says it shaped his ministry as a young man. He said it was one of the most heartbreaking moments, but one of the most ministry-shaping moments for the church that he would want to see, envision, and to build um, for God to, to move in and through in the U.S., And what was happening is he had gone out as a young preacher to a little church. It was a group of about 30 or 40 people. And he arrived there, and he was going to be preaching. But before, he was greeting people out in the parking lot. And uh, one of the receptionists of the church ran up to him, and she said, listen, we've got a guest coming today, so you better preach good. So he felt a bit of pressure. But he said, how do you know this guest's coming? And she said, well, they phoned. And we haven't had anyone phone for directions in a number of years. So you can kinda gather why there were around 40 uh, people there. Anyway, he was waiting to meet this person. And as this lady came in, got out of her car and started walking to the church, he recognized her instantly. He said she didn't look like any of the other ladies. The other ladies were all dressed up, they were immaculate, they were carrying Bibles. He said the Bibles were so big they were like Honda Civics. That's the size of these Bibles these ladies were carrying. But this lady, this lady had no Bible. And her clothes weren't necessarily what you would call nice, maybe maybe the opposite. This lady looked like she didn't have many to choose from in her wardrobe, and possibly she had worn the same dress a couple times and the day before. And Craig noticed this, and as he saw her approaching, one of the ushers from the church rushed to her before he could get to her and said this, young lady, is that the best outfit that you have? He said, we wear our best for God at this church. And she did what you would think she would do. She turned around and went back to her car before Craig could get to her. And she was ashamed and embarrassed and she felt too uninvited to hear God's word and encounter him that day. And Craig said that broke his heart but that shaped his ministry. And it was just such an encouragement to me that as we look at this, maybe if you recognize it, maybe you felt ashamed or maybe you felt unwanted or unworthy one uninvited, and one of the greatest truths of the gospel message of Jesus that we have the privilege to proclaim and to bring to those that come to this house is that Jesus invites the people others reject. Even when you wouldn't make my list, and you would all make my list, <laughs> even if you wouldn't make my list, you make his. Intentionally, purposely, pursuingly, in a costly fashion, He has said you're worth it, and you are invited. And so we see this in the story that we're going to look at today. We're going to jump into Luke chapter 7. And uh, it's an encounter of another woman who was maybe uninvited. And the the different Gospels have different... descriptions of this. Some believe that there were more than one account that took place. We're looking at Luke chapter 7. And just to give context, this happened, as I say, over 2,000 years ago. It was when Jesus was walking the face of the earth, and something about how he lived, and how he moved, and how he interacted, and what he said, and the atmosphere he carried caused people to think, is this man the Son of God? And in some instances, he actually claimed that. And they were left with this reality. Should we believe him to be Son of God? or is he just a crazy man? And part of the way they looked through that and dissected that is they thought, if Jesus is in in fact God in the flesh, there's certain things that he would do. And one of those things that they thought he would do if he was God in the flesh is that he would hang out with the Pharisees because they were the outwardly pious. They were the, the very reverent. They were the ones that prayed the fancy prayers and wore the elaborate prayer shawls with the long tassels and had the ceremonial washing. They were quite spiritually impressive in that day and age. They would have also thought, and surely he would be with the Pharisees because the Pharisees would never hang out with the unclean and the unworthy and the sinner. And so if he's really the son of God, that's the group that Jesus would be hanging out with. And anyway, one of these Pharisees by the name of Simon, he decides to throw a party. And uh, he invites Jesus to this party. Now, their parties were a little bit different to parties that we would have today. Uh, anyway, in Jesus coming to this party, Jesus wasn't the honored guest. Rather, he was brought there for a way for them to suss him out. And you'll see this later in the story. But as I say, these parties that they would throw, the Pharisees, would be for the who's who of the Pharisee contingent. And they would put on a display, and they would talk about weighty and important matters of the day. They would have public discussion, just to show that they were people who had a great wealth of knowledge. And what they would do at these parties is they'd have a meal. And they'd have this meal in what was called the outer room. And the outer room would uh, regularly, they would have a porch on this outer room, so that when they came to recline and dine and eat their meal, because they'd kind of lie down and eat off the table, when they would do that, they would have the doors open so that the common people could come and they could sit outside of this porch and they could listen to what these impressive uh, pharisaical individuals would be discussing about politics and about culture and about theology. And you might ask, why would people come and listen? I mean, really, why would people do that? Well, maybe it was because they had no internet, no Wi-Fi, no TV, No video games, no Fortnite, no Netflix. It can sound a little bit like load shedding. There was no Housewives of Jerusalem to binge watch. (laughs) And so this was first century entertainment at its best. And what happened to Jesus is he gets invited to this party. But something radical happens. It becomes a real party for some, not for others. Because someone comes uninvited and they pitch up. And it causes a scene because these pious Pharisees see this unwanted person walk in and they get agitated. They're hating every moment of what's taking place. So let's read Luke 7, verse 37, and it says this. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life Now, some versions would say a promiscuous woman. Some commentaries and theologians will say that she was a prostitute. And they say this because everyone would have lived um, and had sin concerning the Mosaic law. But they're particularly picking out her sin and saying it's a sinful life. So they're saying she was known for this. And so that's what they believe. It says a woman in that town who had lived a sinful life, possibly a prostitute, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. So imagine this the, the Pharisees are sitting in the outer room, they're waxing eloquent, they're having ontological arguments of humanetics and pneumatology and eschatology. I had to learn how to pronounce all those things, I can't define what they are to you. And, and suddenly, in the midst of that environment, a prostitute, possibly, promiscuous woman could be, sinful person and known for that reason, arrives at the party, and every Pharisee in the house, gasps. They beside themselves. This isn't right. She wasn't invited. She's unclean. She's unpure. She's a sinner. She's unworthy. She was not invited. I want to pause for a moment because we can understand their thoughts, but I want to jump into the mind of this young, hurting woman and see maybe what was growing on in her heart because I don't believe that she dreamed growing up that you'd land up in this situation, in the dreams as a young lady, a little girl. How did she end up here? Well, maybe she grew up feeling unloved by those that were meant to be an expression of that, and so she went to seek love in all the wrong places. Maybe she suffered abuse, and it caused her to think, no one's gonna give me what I need, so I gotta take what I need myself, and she made some bad decisions and maybe she spiraled, and maybe she got involved with the wrong crowd, and maybe in that place she went in a bad direction, and she had to start to do things to get things. Maybe she felt trapped and there was no way of escape. Maybe she had responsibilities to care for some some others because of those bad decisions, and this was the only way that she could do that. We don't know exactly what she had gone through, but what we do know is this, that that is not a lifestyle that she wanted we see this unfolding in her interaction with Jesus. What we do know is that everywhere she went, men looked at her and scorned her and mocked her. And everywhere she went, women glared at her and wanted nothing to do with her. What we do know is that she would have felt unloved and that there was no way that she was invited that she would have felt safe or no way that she would have been invited to that would have had any significance or would have, that would have mattered. What we do know is that she would possibly feel like a lot of us feel, not good enough and guilty for where we've been. Where we land up in the place wondering how we got you. How did I get you? Where maybe my marriage is on the rocks or maybe I'm in the place where I've had to file bankruptcy because my company hasn't worked or maybe I don't have a relationship with my children anymore. This is not what I dreamed, not what I hoped for. How did I get you? And maybe she's finding herself in that place. She feels uninvited, what did she do? You know, it's, it's amazing, just before I, I describe that point, I, I was preparing about this and the invitation, and so Friday night, I have a dream. And uh, in this dream, I'm on the North Coast somewhere, and I'm, I'm just going around places I've always been, I see this amazing facility. There's this amazing club society that's been built, and I mean, there's Bentleys pulling up, and there's people dressed, um, nearly as fancy as my good friend Moses dresses. Moses, you turned 50? Happy birthday, Good start to the new year. But there are people dressed like this, and they're different, and, and there's views over the ocean, and uh, I wasn't invited. I'm, I'm presuming I'm dreaming this because I've been reading this passage. But anyway, I, I decide I'm going to break in. So I sneak in there and I'm trying to walk around and look like I fit, but everyone's watching me. And you know what happens? You start to get pursued and I'm running around and trying to avoid everyone while I'm looking at how great this place is. Um, That's the dream. There's nothing more significant than that. All I'm telling you is I I felt I was that person, uh, uninvited, trying to break in. The problem was Jesus wasn't in this venue. I was doing it for my own enjoyment. Um, (laughs) She felt uninvited. You know, that's the thing. I mean, you try to break in for yourself if it's not because of Jesus' invitation and you feel harassed and you feel hurried and you feel people are after you and you've got to hide and you've got to fake it and be something that you're not. That was my whole dream. Um, But she felt uninvited. So what did she do? I want to say sometimes there's an invitation that's at a different frequency and audibility and has a different resonance and reverberates and no one else might hear it, but you are hearing an invitation that cuts across the the denial and the intimidation of everything around you. And it draws you in this pursuit of that invitation. This is what's happening with her because she walks into the Pharisees party and she dashes straight over to Jesus. She falls to her knees in a posture of worship. In the midst. Of everyone watching, the people on the grass, the common people watching, the Pharisees in shock, Jesus reclining and dining. It hasn't says he's acknowledged her yet. She does that and she's in a posture of worship and she breaks open her jar of perfume and she pours it on Jesus' feet. She starts to worship him. You know what's amazing? Sometimes we start to worship and we think Jesus doesn't notice us, nothing's happening. Stay with me and see what happens as the story unfolds. And there are two significant things that are happening in her before we see Jesus' response. The first thing we see is this. She has bought her most valuable possession, this alabaster jar. I mean, this is presumably a working lady and she's been gathering finance not just to live, but she's saving up her, her nest egg, if you would have it, and it would be worth a year's worth of salary. She would have been doing that. It's her most valuable possession. The second important thing about what she does with the alabaster jar, in many ways, it was a symbol of her future. It was her hopes. It was her dreams. It's all that hadn't amounted in her life. She believed this could be the way it would amount later. And I say that because you can read a book called Lady in Waiting. It's by Jackie Kendall and Debbie Jones. And it describes this beautiful tradition. And it says that when a young girl was ready for marriage, her family would purchase for her an alabaster box or jar, and they would fill it with expensive perfume or oil or ointment. And when a man came and asked for that girl's hand in marriage, she would take out this alabaster box or jar, and she would break it at his feet and anoint them with oil. And it was a sign of honoring his request, saying, as I do this, I've heard your invitation." And I'm saying, yes. And so this beautiful outworking happens in this moment, this one glorious single act. She simultaneously, extravagantly is worshiping Jesus. And it's symbolic of her repentance from her old way of life because she's walking in a new way of life, as Rich says that baptism is a picture of. And she's saying, I want you to be my future. You know, she had been saving that job because she was hoping for a man. But in that moment, she found the man. And so she comes and she worships, and she breaks this jar. You can never fill those jars back in that have jagged edges. You'd smash the thin top. And as she's doing that, she is worshiping, and there's a beauty in her worship and the fragrance as it goes over the broken edges of that jar, and it's beautiful to Jesus. And we can bring worship even in the moments that we feel broken and jagged, and we start to, the jagged pieces start to carry the fragrance, and they can be a beautiful expression of worship. This is what's happening in this moment. And as she does that, verse 38 continues to say this. And as she stood behind Jesus at his feet weeping, not able to stop crying, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. Uh, This is symbolic because you've heard before, it is completely inappropriate. This isn't Baywatch where the girls run down the beach flicking their hair and the guys think this is awesome and it's culturally okay in LA. No, this is a Jewish tradition. A lady couldn't unbind her hair in public. It was seen as wildly inappropriate and scandalous. But she is so overcome with emotion. She is so passionate in her pursuit to be fully devoted to Jesus. And please hear me, there's a difference between distracting from Jesus and being devoted to Jesus. Sometimes we come up and we make a big scene and we're distracting attention away from him because we're trying to get something for ourselves. Other times we come and we do something that might be distracting seemingly to others, but it's showing devotion to him as we give to him of ourselves. There's a difference between distraction and devotion. And she's coming in this moment of devotion and she's adoring him and she's worshiping him. And she realizes his his feet are wet and she doesn't have a towel so she uses her hair and it's saying, you know what, I've heard your invitation, and I'm saying yes, and this is my abandoned response to you, Jesus. Verse 39, and the Pharisees, we see in this moment, we can, they are beside themselves, this is crazy. And when, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus, this is Simon, this is his house, he's thinking, I've just made a bad mistake. I shouldn't have invited this fella, and now I'm gonna be the laughing stock. When he saw this, he said to himself, that he said to himself he didn 't say it out loud he 's thinking it in his head. this is what he 's thinking. If this man were a prophet, a prophet is someone who hears from God and speaks on his behalf, can uh, often moves in words of knowledge where the Lord will give him insight into the past so he can speak into future things and psalm is saying, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is that she 's a sinner yeah Jesus shows he 's a prophet because he 's able to rightly uh, discern and respond to everything this man has thought in his thoughts. But this is how he does it, and I love it. So Jesus would have been reclining and eating. This woman's worshiping at his feet. The crowd are incensed. they thinking, what is happening? There's a deathly quiet. And in the midst of that moment, Simon is thinking this. And then Jesus doesn't turn to address the, the, the leader of the home. He turns towards the woman. says, then Jesus turned toward the woman and said to Simon, here's the woman. Jesus turns and he's facing her. Simon's there. He says, do you see this woman? You see, Simon was only seeing the sin, but Jesus is seeing a woman and she is one of those that he seeks who worship in spirit and truth. And so Jesus is looking at her because Jesus is seeing her and Jesus is appreciating how she is coming. And he's looking at the woman, not Simon, and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Because I came into your house and you did not give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and she wiped them with her hair. Simon, you did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you that her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. Because here's the thing, there is fruit with repentance. And as this change has come, it's resulted in worship and love being expressed. But whoever has been forgiven, little loves little. Who is forgiven much, loves much. And she's demonstrating The muchness of what God has done for her. And then Jesus says to her, still looking at her, she's got his attention. He said, your sins are forgiven. He was saying, you are whole, you are new, you're white as snow. As Rich said, the first death in that water, it's the last death because you've come alive to life. You won't die again. You just go to live in eternity with your father. This is all unfolding here in this moment of what's being communicated And here's the question that I want to try and answer as we look at that. Why did this woman, why did she risk so much to be at the feet of Jesus? What was going on in her that made her rush across town to say, I need to get where Jesus is. I've heard he's going to be there. What would have connected her to Jesus in that way? What would have made her walk past the men who had previously propositioned her or mistreated her to get to Jesus? What would have been going through her head as she walked through the porch, the crowd of people that normally she wouldn't associate with. She walked right past them to Jesus' feet. What would have made her go to the Pharisee's house, the same Pharisee who would not walk on the same side of the street as her? What would have been going on to make her, what is it about Jesus that would make her want to do that? You see, the the commentators and the theologians would say somehow she must have experienced something and connected with something of his unconditional love and his indescribable, seemingly irrational, irrational grace. Something must have touched her about that. She must have seen him perform a miracle or heard one of his teachings or experienced something that's causing her to get to him. And if you read in this, what they presume has happened is they believe that she must have heard one of his messages that same day or sometime soon, because there's an urgency in her response to get to Jesus. I want to encourage you, if you hear him speaking to you, even in this moment, don't wait for me to finish the sermon. Live with that urgency to respond to what he's saying. If he's calling you, if he's inviting you, if he's speaking to you, you get to respond to him right now. And this is what she's doing. She's responding to Jesus because she's heard something. And what is the message she would have heard? Well, Luke doesn't tell us directly what message she would have heard. But Luke does say that on this same day that this is unfolding, that the disciples of John the Baptist had come and spoken to him. And in a cross-reference, if you look at uh, uh, Matthew's gospel, parallel version, it speaks of a message Jesus preached on that same day that John the Baptist's uh, disciples approached Jesus, and so they link it together. And Jesus was giving a message. You know what that message was that she might have heard? It was a message where possibly she was at the back of the crowd because she was ashamed to be in it, but she would have heard the voice of this man saying this, I'm gonna paraphrase and then I'm gonna read it to you exactly. I'm gonna summarize it. This is what she would have heard saying, uh, him saying. You are invited to God's family. You are welcome. There's an invitation for you to come. She would have heard that. That would have startled her. Someone who was probably not invited to anything else in her society. To hear this person that crowds are gathering saying that. And let me tell you, he says it corporately, but let me tell you, she heard it so personally. She heard it so personally the exact message that she would have heard the Son of God proclaim was, come to me. Come to me, you're invited. Was this, come to me. Who, who's invited? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Can you feel the love in that statement? She would have heard that. Come to me, those who are wrecked and overcome with guilt. Come to me, those who are burdened, by shame, Come to me that are trying to, those who are trying to live by a standard that they can't reach and that they're trying to reach a standard that God hasn't opposed, imposed on them. Come to me those who have been rejected by people and society and humanity. Come to me those who religion has turned away. Come to me those of you who didn't have the right clothes and someone met you who didn't represent God's heart and said to you, you are uninvited. Come to me those of you who feel you've got nothing left, who feel you're hopeless, who feel you've come to the end of yourself. Jesus says, you come to me, you come to me when you're weary and when you are burdened and I will give you a heavenly rest. Just the beautiful invitation from Jesus. And there's some significant things we need to notice about this story. We need to understand this. Pointing out this woman's sins did not lead her out of a lifestyle of sin. Pointing out this woman's sin didn't lead her out of a lifestyle of sin. Some of us think that's the way to do it. Didn't happen in this situation. Judging her lifestyle didn't change her lifestyle. Shaming her for what she had done didn't set her free from her past. Can I ask what was it that changed her? Let me tell you, it was an invitation. It was an invitation that changed her. was an invitation, come to me. If you're weary, if you're burdened, don't try and deal with that and get through that, come to me, come and experience grace, come and experience my goodness, come and experience my love, come and experience my favor, come and experience my for you-ness, come and experience me, come to me. You see, Jesus didn't come for the healthy, He came for the sick. Jesus didn't come for those who had self-proclaimed righteousness who could do it on their own. Jesus came for the hurting, the broken, and those in need of a savior. Come to me. Come to me, you are invited. Come to me when you feel ashamed. Come to me when you feel unworthy. Come to me with your doubts. Doesn't say try and fix them, come to me with your doubts. Come to me with your addictions. Come to me with your hang-ups. Come to me with those areas that you're carrying around like baggage. Come to me with your past. Come to me with those things that other people would judge you for. Come to me. And here's the beauty. We get to respond to his invitation. We get to come to him. But when you come to him, and this is my encouragement to us as a house and us as a church, is when we come to him, make sure that's the first thing. If you haven't responded to his invitation, I want to invite you with his invitation today. He wants you to come to him and to know him as your Lord, as your Savior, as the friend who sticks closer than a brother, as the one who walks with you and is for you, as the one who's going to pull you out of those things that feel dead around you and is going to establish you an eternal life who has made a place for you and wants you to enjoy his goodness eternally. Come to him. That's the first invitation. But once we have responded to his invitation to us, I wanna encourage you, don't come alone. Don't come alone. Invite others. Invite others to live as an invitation of heaven to those who are in need. Live as an invitation to the goodness of God, the kindness of God, the mercy of God, the fortuitousness of God. Live as an invitation for others to experience that. We are invited, but we get to be that invitation. Luke 14. I'm gonna finish off with one more party because we're in the habit of crashing parties in this sermon. But let me tell you, when you crash some parties, that's when they become a party worth attending. If you try and crash the cricket later this afternoon, don't blame your pastor. Luke 14. Jesus is speaking about someone who's throwing a feast, and he says, this one is, is decked out. This one has everything you want. This one is better than one of Oprah Winfrey or Ellen DeGeneres' Christmas parties. This one, you're going home with things. You're not just arriving with things. You're not just gonna be full, but you're gonna be overflowing. And he's throwing this party, and he invites a bunch of people, all the people that you think should be there. He invites them and says, come, this is gonna be amazing. But everyone starts to make their excuses. Someone says, you know what, I just got married, I can't come. Personally, I think it's a good excuse, but anyway, it's one of the ones listed. Someone else says, you know, I've just bought a new house, I need to look after it. Someone else says, no, I've just got new livestock. This would be like my mom with her beloved um, younger sons, Thomas and Rocco, her two uh, little Pekingese, and I won't pronounce what the other one is. But, um, uh, and we oh no, I can't come, I need to look after Thomas and Rocco. It would be uh, one of these, oh, it's a big sports weekend, I can't come. And said, you know what Jesus said? He said, go out, show them what this is gonna be. Let them know just how how lavish, how generous, how amazing this experience would be. Go out, but if they're not gonna come, then go and compel the blind, go and compel the lame, go and compel the cripples, compel them. It's a compelling invitation. Go and invite them and tell them to come. Bring them to this feast, this party. And why does that matter? Why is there this shift where he says, if they won't come, go and tell even these people? Because Jesus is throwing wide the invitation. He's removing every limitation. He's taking every judging aspect away. He's dealing with misconceptions so that he could bring across his um, desire for what he is calling of these people. Because if you would understand that day and the age, if you were blind, if you were lame, if you were crippled, everyone would assume that you had done something to deserve that. And Jesus is saying invite them to enjoy this party. They are my honored and invited and celebrated guests because those that everyone else rejects, the Father's heart embraces and invites and says come. He says you compel the blind, the lame, and the crippled. You compel everyone that is despised and that's overlooked and rejected. You compel them, come, come to me. And in that you feel his love in that you sense his grace, and in that I hope you are drawn to the invitation. If you haven't come, we'd love to pray with you at the end if you haven't come to know him as Lord and Savior. But if you have, I wanna say, I want you to go encouraged and empowered with grace to be a living invitation to know him. That as a house, that there would be something over us in the spirit like a billboard that says, come, come all of you, heavy, weary, carrying burdens, come, come because the Lord wants us to experience the beauty of knowing that we are on his invitation list and that his heart pursues us. Father, I just thank you that even as we just finish off this message today, I thank you, Lord, that you continue to minister into hearts. Lord, where there are those of us who might have felt uninvited. I pray that you deal with those things. And Lord, I pray that you break every lie of the enemy where we have had a sensitivity to believe things over ourselves that are not true. I pray that we would hear your voice. And then Lord, I also pray that you would break past the audibility of the judgment of re- religiosity and uh, political environments that would say you fit and you don't fit. I pray that the sound of your call and voice would cut across like a clarion call. And I pray, Lord, that you start to call people. And Lord, we thank Thank you that um, there's no distance in the Spirit. So Lord, I thank you for the call to go out to the community in which you placed us, that people can come, that there's an invitation in the heavens and the spiritual realm for people to come and experience your goodness, your grace, and your celebration for who you have called them to be in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray um, that even as we say that, Lord, there are many that we know that aren't believers. Lord, I pray that you would put a compelling invitation in each of our hearts, to go out and see them brought home. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.